Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Hisham Akira Barucha is an artist currently based in Brooklyn, New York. He concentrates on creating music, visual art, and photography. He's had solo exhibitions of his work at D'Amelio Terrasse Gallery in New York, as well as Vlieshal, a state-run space in the Netherlands. He's been in numerous group exhibitions at galleries such as Deitch Projects, John Connolly Presents, and Yerba Buena Center for the Arts. His work has been published in Art Forum, V, ID, Flaunt, Tokion, and Blend, among others. Hisham is well known for creating both music and visual work at a very high level of concentration, and he started a solo performance group called Soft Circle after he left the experimental band Black Dice in 2004. Soft Circle has toured with such bands as Boredoms, No Age, and High Places. The music you're hearing right now is Soft Circle. Hisham has performed in the ICA Boston, ICA London, the Warhol Museum, Le Confort Moderne in France, and many other venues. He collaborated with the artist Doug Aiken on a sound piece, which was performed at the MoCA in LA. In addition, he collaborated with Aiken on a performance at MoMA in New York. Hisham dropped by my studio in Bushwick via skateboard to discuss the compelling upbringing of his youth, his creative drive, and his many passions. Here's our conversation. So you skated here? Yeah. Yeah. And the L train is soon going to be out for... I know. It's going to be... What's yeah, going to happen? Yeah, I feel like just real estate is going to just... The value is going to go down in that area. Do you area. think that's going to happen? I feel like it has to. But maybe it'll just be rents and, you know, maybe it'll go down just temporarily. But yeah. Because it is a temporary thing. Right. But, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess like... Because it, it, at least for that year, it'll be pretty... Year and a half or whatever it's going to be, it's going to be hard for people to sell stuff like yeah. it's so inconvenient without right. the train um but maybe the wealthy people who are moving into that neighborhood don't care because uh they want to be local they want to be local and they could just take a car yeah. anywhere just um, uber they're yeah, gonna blow just, up it's gonna be what do they call that oh like surge charge Sur- surcharge <laughs> it's gonna like, be an 18 month surge <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah uber is like yes yeah they're gonna um, make out and taxis and car services but yeah yeah, we'll see. We'll see. They're gonna have to step the bus game up yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Oh, that. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure there'll be plenty of shuttles and stuff. But still, like, if you've have you ever been on the platform on Bedford on a on a weekday yeah. morning? Oh my god, it's crazy. It's and crazy evening, now. Yeah. Where are all those people gonna go? I know. It's so crazy. The even when I started to experience the, well, the rare moments where I have to be in the city at rush hour, like on the way in or on the way back. On the way back, I remember the first time I, I was on, like, taking the NR, like, um, and the NR, like, track is, like, connected to the L track, yeah. like, at Union Square. So, but that NR track was just packed, and I was like, was there an accident? And there totally was not. It was just rush hour. Just, yeah. And just madness, just people trying to get down those stairs. So, um, yeah, the, the, there, there are a few benefits of the gentrification being that it is more convenient. I mean, mm-hmm. it's crazy that we have a Whole Foods now in Williamsburg. I know. Um, 
but uh, in the Apple Store, did you see? Uh, yeah, I saw it that just, that's under the cloak of nighttime. It just released yeah, itself yeah. on the public. Yeah, so insane. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, I've lived in that neighborhood for like Williamsburg or Greenpoint for the last eighteen years. So, it I've definitely seen it change. But um, but yeah, there are there are some conveniences, but then of course there's all the this madness of how many people are there. Yeah. Um, all the all the tourists and all the Airbnbers and all it's of crazy. that. It's crazy. The change nuts. that's happened. Yeah. And it's like kind of like technology. It's an accelerated track of change, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it because I probably moved here around the time late nineties, mm-hmm. probably yeah, around that time. time. Yeah. And it was it wasn't, you know, shady in Williamsburg, but it right. wasn't there were spots where you were like, This yeah. isn't the nicest neighborhood, you know. Yeah. But it was fine. Yeah. But it just I remember I used to live over by the bridge, uh-huh. Williamsburg Bridge. Yep. And it was the Broadway Diner was the one place to eat, mm-hmm. you know. And I would go in there, like that was the only time I would go out to eat. Right. And like Andres Serrano was in there all the time. Uh-huh. Or like a couple local people there, uh-huh. you know. And uh-huh. there was the artist in my building. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, there wasn't a lot of options. Now it's like you, you know, throw a rock and you hit like a restaurant from somewhere on the other side of the world. You know, cuisine from all over the world. Yeah, and, totally. I mean, there's advantages and disadvantages. Yeah, I guess. exactly. I mean, exactly. there's a Hawaiian restaurant now. Yeah, it's kind of, it's come to right, right. To the, like yeah, I heard that Koki is like a like gonna be the next thing, which it's <laughs> amazing these these kind of food trends. Um, yeah, I went to a Caribbean place yesterday and it was pretty good, but it was definitely Williamsburg prices. It was like so expensive, but um, but yeah, I mean, the, yeah, I, I, I'm not mad at that. I, one thing that I wish existed in terms of if the if people end up listening to this stuff like a like uh, that think about this is there needs to be a health food restaurant yeah. instead of just some one other like amazing rustic like farm to table ish restaurant right. you know yeah like we just need like something like 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 some kind of LA style like health restaurant where yeah. it's like could have vegan food and like raw food or something that's actually good instead of just some like crappy little spot you know right. that makes like food that you can make at home like let's make let's make that happen well, there's just juices. It's baby steps. Yeah. Right now, you can get like there's like four thousand juiceries. Right yeah, totally. It's true. So, yeah, the juicery situation is pretty intense these days. But we yeah. should have invested in that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Opened up a juicery like seven years ago. Yeah, totally. Seriously, doing pretty well. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so yeah. you, so being in Greenpoint, even that's changed a lot. Right. Yeah, Greenpoint. I mean, like my wife has lived in the same apartment for 14 years, and that's why we're still there. I moved in like 10 years ago, and mm-hmm. um, it's still cheap. And the landlord, you know, we're like in a non-lease but you know friendly situation where I think everybody gets along in the building. There's an artist below me, an older guy, um, and uh, like some other sort of creatives in the bottom floor, and we all just get along and help each other out when we need to. So, uh, so I feel like that sort of like, a that, that kind of situation like has kept us in the neighborhood. Um, but yeah, I guess like it's, it's, yeah, I mean it, it, it totally has changed. It's the same kind of thing. Like there's restaurants everywhere. There are all these boutiques and you're like, what, like how many people can buy all this stuff? And then you're like, oh yeah, actually those high rises yeah, are going there's, up. Yeah. There's tons of people, um, who are living over there that can afford all these like nice things so it all makes sense um but i'm glad that it's still like a neighborhood vibe like yeah. uh, our streets still mainly like families and stuff and of course there are 
the new lofts that are being sold for like three million dollars on our block you know it's mm-hmm. like wild but um but it's fine i mean we're like i feel like i'm just used to it now it's just sort of like seeing how extreme it can the changes can be in new york yeah yeah i mean i had to I used to just like work, make my my visual work at home, um, but uh, I sort of like I finally got a studio this year, first time in all of my art career to have a studio outside of my apartment. Um, but it, I had to go out to the like it's close to the Jefferson stop on the L, yeah. So like Bushwick, uh, uh, Ridgewood, Queens uh, border, and um, that what was made, the, what made you. Get um, you know, want to work out or have to work outside your place? I wanted to be able to make different work. And, I, you know, like, of course, I deal with my finances with my wife. And she was like, you know, can't afford that. Yeah. So, um, but eventually it was just, uh, you know, I just pushed. I, I, I just, you know, it was having people over for studio visits um, that were, you know, m- more like uh, more serious curators and, and gallerists to just... It felt like uh, they were hinting that people won't take you seriously um, because yeah. it doesn't seem like you're invested if you don't have a studio in yeah. terms of making work. So um, it was, I had, you know, the last time I had a curator over, I just had that feeling of, okay, this is, this is definitely not cool anymore to have somebody have to walk through your living room and like right. look at your, like, like uh, family pictures and then look, try to concentrate on your work while surrounded by all this stuff. It was just too distracting. And, um, and it has been really nice to have a, have the studio. I mean, it's, it's, it's big enough to work on, on larger scale things and be able to step back. I mean, all that stuff. So major to be able to think about space in a different way. I mean, I really was in a, like, it was basically a bedroom that I converted into a, studio and it was still like a living room slash studio so you know i was like sitting on a couch most of the time (laughs) while i worked like because that was the only chair that was low enough to the you know to the table that i was working on so it was just not it just didn't i could only work on small scale works and you know i do a lot of mural paintings and sort of larger scale installation things so those would all just be sketches in a computer but now i feel like i could if I really wanted to test out like a new type of wall treatment or something that I want to do, then I could just do it in the studio and and see it to scale. Because those are things that um, would happen on on location. I've definitely gone to install a mural and started and been like the scale is wrong. Yeah. Um, and then you're just trying to do some measurements like on the spot, like okay, this has got to be twice as big, or you know, like. Uh, you're just trying to figure out like the scale of things so it's been a major change and and it's exciting Um, but of course it's like dealing with the the realities of being an artist uh, in New York is studios are expensive so it's just like okay how am I I gonna say because you've kind of you know opted into a bigger studio when a lot of people are moving out of the city and right. down downsizing their right. studios and cuz it's so you know it's crazy expensive yeah. and the amount of large spaces is dwindling cuz they're all getting bought up and yeah. you know made into restaurants or whatever mm-hmm. they're being made into yeah totally and um you know i have friends who do really well as artists and they're still like i'm out of here you know right. it's not and you know, i'm sure you've like read a little bit of like there's grumblings about you know is new york the creative place or right. the ideal creative place it used right. to be 
when so many people who can't afford to yeah. be here and yeah. can't afford the space yeah and the economy is you know is what it is yeah. i mean i'm sure it's all cyclical uh-huh. and things right. ebb and flow but mm-hmm. um the real estate thing that's a finite resource yeah like it's you know the the final frontiers of going out and finding a huge cheap space in new york yeah is dwindling yeah it yeah. used to be bushwick 10 years ago yeah. you know where you could get something right pretty big for not a lot now where is it you know what i mean yeah there's yeah i mean i guess i yeah i wasn't i it just like the opportunity sort of came up and i i just went for it um and i'm sharing a studio with a friend and uh and i've been enjoying that sort of situation where you could actually have a conversation about what we can have conversations about what we are working on and give sort of like our input and that's something i didn't have at my apartment i was like a sort of uh, just embarrassed to have people over and be, it's just like, you know, my, my living space. Like, uh, I just didn't, yeah, I just like, uh, yeah, I guess I, it's just that one thing. I just felt slightly sort of like embarrassed to sort of have people have to come over to my, my place to like, look at what I was working on. But, um, but yeah, I mean that the, yeah, the real estate situation, uh, yeah. And I mean, it's been, it's been sort of like downhill, um, for a long time and then very quickly in the last like five years or something um, in terms of all the all the DIY spaces for music stuff going out of getting, getting kicked out and uh, the people who have the money to like renting those places out and making them into fancier things um, and yeah like studio spaces like I'm lucky to still have a rehearsal space for my music stuff in in Williamsburg I'm just like it's just like I'm lucky to at least have that close by but but uh who knows how long that's gonna last I mean it's a matter of time for sure Um, I was gonna ask you about where you did your music you know where you recorded and do you write things you know on your own in your place and then take it or do you how does that work yeah it's it's different for every every sort of music project all I have like a recording setup for electronics and vocal stuff like at home. Um, but since I'm a drummer mainly and I need to keep up with that practice, I have a practice space for that. So yeah. that's just like a typical band rehearsal space packed with equipment from all these different bands. And we have a schedule that, you know, we share and we have slots that we can use. And then if somebody has a show, um, you could say, well, are you using the space tomorrow? Can I, we have a show. We just want to get an extra rehearsal in. So that part is um, so that works out it's definitely the closest I've had my rehearsal space to my house I could you know skate over there in like five minutes um, or less and then and and play the drums for a few hours um, and then go do something else so that's super nice Um, and then I have uh, so that's like I guess I get I I practice the drums for any of all of my uh, my sort of musical projects I guess Um, and then I have a new band called Kill Alters, and they used to uh, the two other members used to have a a space uh, in Gowanus, but again, like a it was a financial situation, like everybody was moving out to get a nicer space, and that they couldn't afford to keep the space, so they're just uh, we'll just record stuff at their apartment yeah. um, in terms of electronics, and then we'll get a rehearsal space um, where we can all practice together um, when we're working on the live set um, or we'll go to my practice space and rehearse when there's nobody in there. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, like in, in New York, it's just, you do have to figure out how to sort of make your situation work. And, and, uh, I mean, the benefits are still there. I feel like, it, you know, you can have, you can like meet a curator and, you know, they, if they're interested in what you're talking about, they'll say studio visit and they can just come over. It's yeah. very immediate. Um, so that stuff can happen, uh, easily compared to maybe some cities. Um, or yeah, some, some, you know, some, some, yeah, I guess like cities or towns, but, uh, but yeah, just like being able to like keep the, have the upkeep like, uh, of, having a space to work on things, um, having the mental space to be able to think creatively when you're, when you're worried about paying the bills is definitely yeah. like a, a, a real, it's very real here. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily the place to, that's most conducive to be being a creative, like, a if you really want to just be in the zone in terms of like making your work um but if you like being inspired by people other con other artists or being able to see cultural things i mean that's the that's the uh that's the most ex exciting uh thing about the city is that you can hear about something um and go do it the same night yeah you know you could just jump on the train or um whatever it is like uh like there's plenty of stuff that I'll hear about that day and I'll get an invite or somebody's like, let's go to this opening. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't even know it was happening. And yeah. you could go do it. If you're in like Los Angeles or something like it'd be like 3 PM. I'm not going to get in a car right, right. now because I'm going to get stuck in traffic. There's no way I'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you don't have that kind of, uh, uh, fear and it's, and also, you know, you could just interact with all these different cultures here like immediately. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I got off of the grand street stop to, come to your studio and it's you know it's just nice to see this different neighborhood and all these different people different types of people than in my neighborhood um and feel at home and like it and and really be happy to i feel lucky to be able to have have all these different cultures um like interacting with each other um that that is a really inspiring thing to me i mean that's what i feel like you could you can see and hear in creative things like made in, in New York, you know, yeah. like, a, I don't think, I mean, I'm sure there are people whose work where you really don't see that at all. Um, like the, the sort of like influence of the city. Um, but most of the people I know have something, um, that, that comes from that, whether it's the opposite, they want to make something that's calming um, because of, because of the city or they want to integrate all the amazing sort of cultural differences like that you see whether it's just like you know this pattern uh is connected to this this graffiti that you see in your mind and you you just like you know like you just create all these sort of seemingly disparate connections in, and they just come out in in some kind of creative form with music it's very it becomes maybe even more obvious because you'll like uh, I always think about it because I have this my living room that used to be my studio is is now just a living room and you know I also like have my meditation practice that I do in the morning there but like when cars drive by it'll be like really loud like Latin like a channel like radio channel um, yeah. a radio station or 
you know, it'll be some like Polish hip hop or something, mm -hmm. you know, that's like kind of like the neighborhood. <laughs> right. um, and just the way that sounds when it kind of goes by is really inspiring. Yeah. You know, just like I'll, I'll, I'll just, I feel like I try to, I don't even try, I guess I just, it just like ends up influencing what I, what I make. It's just, it's just there and why not sort of like sample the world like yeah. the, that surrounds you. Um, that's my biggest fear about ever moving out of the city is the lack of diversity. Right. But not just with people. Right. With the music, the food, the, yeah. the visuals. Completely. The, I mean, everything. You can go see, you know, even if you're just thinking about art, you can go to a contemporary museum. You yeah. can go to the Met. You yeah. can go to the Jewish Museum. You yeah. can, there's so many different yeah. kinds of work that yeah. you can see. And, you know, thinking about going somewhere where you don't have those options is pretty... I don't know. There's, yeah. it's, it's actually almost scary to yeah, think yeah. that, like, oh, I don't have any diversity right. here. Right. Yeah, I think about it, like, because, uh, uh, of course, I have the, you know, our, our sort of, like, age range fr friends are, you know, having kids and moving to different places. Obviously, we know a ton of friends that have moved to Los Angeles, and yeah. um, there are things that become easier. Um, and, of course, out there, there's nature or upstate you know there's nature and yeah raising a kid is probably easier in, in some ways um in a lot of ways i think <laughs> yeah yeah definitely um so so then it's just uh but but then the 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 complaints that i'll hear are are exactly what we're talking about yeah. you know you don't get to you miss sort of or the my friends will miss having experiences you know like where where you hear about something and or you you happen upon like a like like a performance that you didn't think it you, you didn't know anything about or you knew nothing about um and you could just and that that stuff it ends up being pretty inspiring so that those kind of um random happenings become less and less um when you're in an environment where you have to get in a car to go everywhere yeah um so but yeah i guess like it seems like there are enough people where they try to create a community where they're at least like interacting with each other. So right. that's cool. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it's definitely, it's completely different than living here and making work. Um, yeah. So I guess it's a, if, if people like, like me who are still very much inspired by the things that the cultural things that I can experience, whether it's just going to, you know, like Jackson Heights for food or, you know, like, yeah, just like whatever it is, um, then it's worth it. But if there, if it, you know, I mean, in, in my situation, I don't have a, a kid yet, even though I'm thinking about it, like a, you know, like a, it, it might change, but we'll see, you know, it's like, I feel like the, the world is in such a crazy state right now that I'm just like, let's just roll with how, how it's going right now and see yeah. what happens, like not make any sort of drastic, um, drastic choices um just because yeah who knows where i'll end up or yeah. will end up yeah yeah this election's gonna i think determine a lot of people's fate oh as far completely as oh man we're already looking at flights to japan <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i believe it just in case <laughs> i believe it yeah i mean that yeah i still have a japanese passport so I'm you're safe not, yeah I'm not, I'm not like letting that go yet yeah not yet <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I'd love to, I, I've always wanted to get, to dig a little deeper into yeah. your past and yeah, like, yeah. you know, what your childhood was like and your whole story. So if you don't mind sharing that. Oh yeah, maybe. completely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was born in Japan. I'm, my mother is Japanese and my father is from Burma. 
Um, and uh, it's a pretty fascinating story to me and hopefully for others like my dad um, left Burma when it was getting um, overtaken by the government um, uh, a military government and so so he had all these sort of like side uh, trips but he eventually wanted to get to Japan kind of to be different from his uh, half-brothers that were um, much older than him um, and uh, all of them were uh, I guess like the respectable thing for for their family was to go to Stanford so they went to Stanford it's like so extreme um, it was just one of those situations I think that their family was probably well off like a back in the day but then you know when the when the socialist sort of uh, military situation was happening you know there everything was taken away so yeah they were left with nothing um so it was either escape or or you know stay and not have anything and be sort of like yeah just you know have to be spied on and all this sort of stuff that you might hear about with that situation but um so he eventually made it made it to japan um, and uh, he got into Tokyo University, and my mom was at Waseda University, so it was sort of like this, you know, like the the Ivy League sort of vibe um, yeah. of of Japan. But you know, my dad uh, he had sort of left um, left without much money, so he figured out ways to sort of like survive in in Japan. Um, and uh, eventually met my mom and uh, they got married we were born my brother is two years older than me his name is Hashim um, and so we get confused a lot like because uh, it's Hisham and Hashim that's why I use my middle name Akira mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah so we were we lived in we were born in Niigata um, but both uh, moved to Tokyo like uh, when we were um right after we were born so but wait our, what brought them to Niigata um I, oh sorry yeah my mother is from Niigata oh that's her yeah. hometown yeah, yeah so so I think it was just like you know par- her parents were there to maybe yeah. help for a second like before moving moving or going back to Tokyo um so yeah we were there um we were in Tokyo until I was two um and then my dad and my mom I think had like a you know let's go to the west and like the American dream sort of thing and the first sort of avenue was getting to uh, my dad worked for a company that got us to Toronto Canada first and mm-hmm. I think also I like later recently I talked to my mom and she she thought it would be like a safer place to sort of start um, maybe that was a, a good call um, yeah so we were in Toronto Canada for four years um, and then we, uh, my dad started working for Fujitsu, I think, um, and we moved to Los Angeles first, just for a year and a half, mm-hmm. and then moved down to San Diego, where like all of my elementary school years were spent um, in like a suburban San Diego neighborhood, skateboarding, and you know, lots of sun, lots of sun, <laughs> and very boring Sundays where I just get into just cause cause mayhem as a boy does, like lighting. <laughs> lighting shit on fire with W40 <laughs> or like whatever it was you know yeah uh, building skate ramps where you're not supposed to like stealing wood from like construction sites and you know just like just funny stuff um, that just, sounds familiar yeah right it wasn't isolated to san diego uh-huh <laughs> right 
Yeah, that um, sounds a little familiar to my childhood too. Right, building yeah. mini ramps and all yeah. that stuff. You know, yeah, causing trouble. Yeah, yeah, boys will be boys. Yeah, um, but I definitely. It's funny now, now. Like when I look back at photos of my childhood, I'll, I'll see my mom just doesn't look very happy. She's not smiling ever. She's probably and, exhausted. Yeah, exactly. She's <laughs> like she had to deal with three boys. You know. Jeez. Um, so I, that definitely gave me even more respect for my mother. But while we were in San Diego, my dad uh, got sick with cancer, and as he uh, he died pretty quickly afterwards. It was just like a, it was just like I think you know n- nobody. My mother didn't expect him to have cancer. Obviously, yeah. like that's not something that you sort of prep yourself for. And, and he wasn't was, old, right? Yeah, he was forty-five. Jeez. So that's only I'm forty now. So you know that like when I turned. 40 this year I was like oh man I'm five years away from like the the AIDS that my dad died that's pretty insane yeah um but you know he was he was not the healthiest guy um he was and also you know like a yeah like my mother didn't know you know what to do I bet you know it seemed like it was just like if there was more research and we had more finances to you know sort of get get him into a good hospital or something um maybe it could have could have lived a little longer but I don't really think about it that way. I think it's just like, it's just whatever the fate that all of us sort of like had sort of going for us. But that was obviously like a big happening for me when I was a kid. Um, How old were you? I was 10. I remember like, just like, that hits hard. Yeah. I mean, you're smart enough, I think at that, or old enough at that age to sort of think about life. It's not just like, what, you know, um, not, not that you wouldn't even at a younger age, but, um, but uh, it, I definitely immediately became like very aware of lifespan and the questions of like, what are we doing here if we're only here for a temporary amount of time and all that. Um, and so I became like a like you know very intense thinker um, as a kid and sort of like you know was interested in philosophy and sort of like psychology and that kind of stuff because of that and definitely had like a sort of like uh interest in spirituality um uh eastern spirituality after that and uh but yeah so so then yeah like when i uh, i think i stayed in america till i was uh 12 um and in, then in california yeah yeah i moved back moved back when i was 12 um to japan um and as any kid uh going through anything like that sort of experiences that you know I wanted to keep the things that uh were felt like a that they would always be there like friends yeah um and uh that I had must a hard, have been tough yeah because you're doubling down there you know having that loss and right. then moving back to Japan yeah yeah and was it was it on being as you know they call happy you know yeah was that a difficult thing or was it oh man it was totally difficult like being being half in japan maybe maybe it's changed now because there are definitely more half japanese people out it's there like that more are, hip now it's yeah seems. like a lot more actors and people on tv and, yeah, yeah like you'll see like i remember when i started to go go back during the summers like uh after i'd like moved to moved back to the states for college like uh I'd go back for the summers and just like work like a temporary, you know, like work at a convenience store or something, um, and just save up money. Um, but uh, but uh, but I'd start to see like half kids in uniforms, and I'd be like, I was like that, you know. Yeah. Um, 
because it is, you know, it's like a, it's a monoculture. So you do see the, the difference between, you know, yeah. like half half people. But, you know, then you also realize like, oh, that's what I look like. Oh, that person speaks perfect in Japanese mm-hmm. and probably another language like that. Of course, that is it. it, it it's just it, it does stand out. So yeah. I could sort of like appreciate that more where I felt like I was trying to when I first moved back, I was definitely trying to fit in. Um, and I had a had a real hard time fitting in because I was was different, you know. California kid, <laughs> totally. up, right? Yeah, an American, you know, like American thought process. Like you don't think about um, the fact that people are very they voice their opinion uh, yeah. in, in America even at a at a young age. It's like I I like this, I don't like this because of this or all that. So I was that kid. Um, and you know, over yeah, it was like I was yeah. not fitting in. I was right. like, I don't like, I don't like that. I don't like that kind of music. I like this kind of music or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, Nonconformist. Yeah, and which you know, is such an LA like or you know Southern California skate punk like that yeah, era. Oh, totally. I mean, that's the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, totally. you listen to Minor Threat and you go yes, break stuff. Exactly. You know, which is the exact opposite <laughs> of like being in a school of I can imagine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly the experience that I had. Um, yeah, it was a it was a huge challenge. Like I remember getting like pretty depressed in like my ninth ninth grade. I didn't even know what depression was, but I remember looking back and being like, "Oh, I was just like, completely depressed because I didn't know where I fit in um, and what you know what like what I was supposed to do." I was like, I, "I tried to fit in. I'm not good. I'm not a jock. Like it's the same in Japan. You know, sports guys are like yeah. all, you know, like it, the, those guys are the most popular. Of course, I was a teenager. I wanted to be popular too, so I tried that. Like was terrible at it. I only <laughs> I could only skateboard that and yeah. like anything like foot sports I could do like snowboarding or something. But but uh, but then I just had that moment where I was just like, "Fuck this!" Like I'm just like gonna be the class clown then. So then I was able yeah. to sort of just be like. I'm a weird, I'm a weirdo. I just like like playing music and bands and stuff, and I'm just gonna, and I'm not gonna try to be. My wasn't appealing to girls at all. You know, I was yeah. just like I'm. I, I don't care anymore. I'm done. Um, so that was, I was glad that I came to that realization because then I felt like I I definitely had way more fun. After that, um, but yeah. So, <clears throat> I guess like when I'm when like in my in my sort of like a junior high school years there i moved back at the beginning of eighth grade in japan and then uh you know i would i would come back to america um like every summer um so i could keep my green card Mm -hmm. um and uh so i got my sort of dose of like southern california skateboarding and like going to see bands and stuff um and uh and i was studying like in high school to uh to go to a visual art school um, mainly because my mom was like, you know, I was uh, like in, like when it, when I started, when I learned how to play, I started playing bass when I was in, in eighth grade. And, you know, then it was like, I was a heavy metal kid, like a metal kid. So I just like, uh, got pretty good at playing. And then, um, you know, I played in bands like all through junior high, high school. The only time I felt like I could sort of stand out in a, or like be like a show off was when there was a school festival, yeah. like, a. um, Bunkasai, uh, like a culture festival right. that every school has. Usually. Playing music, yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's often like a music element. Um, it's a pretty, I think it's actually a pretty cool thing that they make kids do. It's like you have your class will choose like a business that you're supposed to run at mm-hmm. the festival. So it'll be like, oh, like a okonomiyaki place. Like you'll make like you know like 
veggie pancakes, like Japanese pancakes or something. And then you have to choose like who's going to be the leader mm-hmm. or the, the kind of, yeah, like the sort of, I guess, manager. And then who's going to deal with the cashier or that kind of thing. It right. does teach you sort of basic, like, you know, how to, how to work. Um, but the, you know, the band room was definitely like where I and inhabited and I could sort of show off <laughs> yeah. back in the day. So, but, but my mom was like, there's no way you're going to make money off of, um, music at least go to visual art school because she was an artist too she's a she's like a folk folk artist like very much uh, influenced by american folk art uh-huh. and, um and so so that's sort of like how i got into got back into i guess like uh visual art stuff um backtracking a little bit when i was really small i always drew um and did like little like watercolors and stuff and like uh <clears throat> excuse me like uh when like uh, you know the my favorite part of book reports is doing the cover the drawing for the yeah. cover you know um, or like drawing like uh, people doing stuff for, like in like a from a Thrasher magazine or something like I remember I did like a drawing in elementary school of a kid doing a hand plant and people uh-huh. just thought I traced it and I was so offended <laughs> I was like no I didn't trace this you know um, but anyways like uh, yeah so I like uh, I had a mom who who was into visual things so that was. That kind you of rubbed know. off on you? Oh, completely, yeah. It well, was, in school, what was the art scene like? You know, what was, you know, was there a lot of um, emphasis on the arts in the school that you went to in Japan? Um, there was some. I mean, I went to like a like a Christian uh, uh, school, like kind of out out in the clo- close to the countryside of Tokyo, because the sprawl is so crazy. It was like in the, it was, uh, um, I guess, like in the in the direction of Ome. So like, uh, like, uh, like, uh, it's, it's pretty far from the center of Tokyo. Like yeah. I commuted, it took like an hour and a half to two hours for me to get to school every day. So yeah, that's a long time on the train. Yeah. And you get like, I, like I, like when you're a kid, you're so resilient. I didn't even question it. You know, yeah. I was just like, that's what you do. That's what you do. Um, but I definitely didn't do like after school activities at school. Cause I would have been getting home at like 9 PM yeah. if I did that. Yeah. Um, the train was your after-school activity. Yeah, yeah, it was just like, yeah. I mean, I have super fond memories of, like, you know, my friends who rode the same train at least halfway. I, I definitely was one of the kids that lived the furthest away, but it was, like, what I'm sure my mother could afford back then. And, uh, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, because it, it was a private school. Um, but it was mainly because, like, I needed to... I, my, my Japanese wasn't totally up to par, you know? Was it like, international school? Yeah. Yeah. So it was just like a... It, it was this... Yeah, it was like the... Yeah, it just like a... It had a lot of people from different countries that mm-hmm. lived there. Like, you know, there are people who lived in... Or Chinese people. Um, you know, we even had, like, an Ethiopian girl. Like, um, uh, like a bunch of people who lived in America or England. Um, so the English classes were more advanced. Yeah. So that was why I was there. Um, and... Uh, yeah, there like there was there there was some you know because it was a Christian school there you know we there was a choir like a like a Bible class and then there was choir so mm-hmm. I loved singing um, I had no idea like uh, or I didn't really care that I was singing choir songs like right. I, um, I just liked harmonizing so that that was definitely like a really early sort of like positive memory like I I at that because I was you know this sort of like uh, a kid that has had uh, my parent one of my parents died when I was a kid I was like I don't 
I don't care about like what you believe in. It's just like what you're going to get out of those experiences. Like, a, and, and because like a Bible class is basically like a philosophy class, then, you know, I was able to sort of talk about my opinions in those places and singing in the choir was just awesome. I just really loved the feeling of it. And, you know, like, um, so that was like a early memory. And also, you know, I, I definitely had like a, a, a good art, like class teacher that, that, liked what I what I did and but but definitely pushed me too so that was nice yeah um and then I you know when my mom you know was starting to get around like I gotta apply to college like you know my mom said yeah like apply to uh art school I started doing going to like a cram school for uh to get into like a Japanese art school Mm -hmm. it's tough right yeah it's uh yeah so so that the deal is like uh like to get into a Japanese art school you need to be able to draw realistic pencil drawings mm-hmm. um so your rendering has to be like really really good um and also like i was at that point i was interested in like how advertising worked and, and graphic design so i was like maybe i'll be i'll go to design go into design so you needed to be able to do this uh two dim- two di- two-dimensional like design work um but it was very kind of like archaic back then it still wasn't like computer stuff so you know, they're like, it was just had to be super tight. And I wasn't like a, like some, somebody that was, had that kind of hand. Um, and so it was super fun doing that. Cause I got to, I made a ton of friends, you know, at, at the after school thing. Um, but, uh, but uh, I, I knew that it wasn't right for me to try to apply to those schools because uh, I mean it, it's really hard to get in like you you really have to have the that specific aesthetic um just like technical proficiency technical yeah yeah <clears throat> you needed to have that technical sort of stuff down and I, I I was just starting where all the kids had been doing this for years you know yeah. like um I started like my senior year of school I think um of high school so of course, I was way behind, and it, and you know that like Japanese, like a uh, those kinds of art school teachers are feel just as crazy as like uh, my martial arts teachers growing up. You know, it was like silent room. They point at the work, and they're like, "Who's this?" Like, this is terrible. You know, they just like tear you apart. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, but I mean, I, I learned a ton. Like, yeah. I, at the end of it, I finally felt like I I understood what they were talking about when they were talking about the weight of uh, like an object. Like, they'd be like you're just all outlined there's no this doesn't feel like it's on it's it's not physically there you know that kind of stuff where i i definitely learned a lot so i appreciated i appreciated that but i i still didn't want to go to a japanese art school i i had a feeling i just wouldn't get in they're just there i felt there was a slim chance so i had like a my like the the young the young english teacher at my at my high school um he lived in new york um, originally, so I asked him about East Coast art schools because I didn't want to go to a West Coast one because I lived there in elementary school. Yeah. Um, and he told me about uh, Parsons and RISD. Um, and uh, he happened to, I think he, I can't remember when he quit and moved back, but he moved back to New York. And in, uh, in 93, I, met, I remember going to see or coming to New York to see the art schools. and. Um, he, I, uh, I asked him if I could stay at his place. He said yes, and he lived on like a, he lived on Hudson um, and Fourteenth. Mm-hmm. That's not like a, I think that's there's a, like a triangular building that's right across from the Apple Store. Yeah. Um, 
and so this is like still early 90s so it was still pretty sketchy uh, the soho house wasn't there yet (laughs) no oh man i remember just like so clearly what it looked like it was just pitch black with like maybe like a couple street lights nobody on the street um and uh you know i'm just like this like skater kid with like a suitcase like trying to figure out how to get into this building i didn't know like that you had to buzz in and Mm -hmm. I remember there's a there's a sex club like in the basement of the building. That was the only door, so I like accidentally walked in, and you know I was like I don't know how I figured out it was a sex club, but I was like terrified. Wasn't it the Hogs and Heifers building? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes sense. Yeah, that, that right. was a sex club. Yeah, totally. So yeah, it was just like a funny memory of like a finally you know finding a payphone, getting up there, and then he had like a total New York loft, you know, like mm-hmm. back in the day style, like top floor of this building with some musicians um, and uh, you know, it turned midnight and uh, he was like, oh, it's midnight. Like, let's go to this, this side of the street um, on the side of 12th street. Um, and, uh, and which is, I don't forget what, what nice hotels on that street, but in the, uh, oh, the Gansford. Oh yeah, totally yeah. on that side of the street. So like uh, right at midnight, all the, all the, uh, uh, the tra- the trans uh, prostitutes would come out and mm-hmm. they'd just be there. These cars would start rolling through and they'd just be straddling them. Just all this like amazing. <laughs> it was like beautiful in a way, you know. It yeah. was just like so incredible. A procession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These cars would just drive very slowly down and these people would just like, um, just put their bodies all over the cars, just trying to get some business. And that that was like a really fond memory of just being in New York, going to the deli, you know, in the morning and just all the, all the, all the girls just like smoking in, in like in or outside getting bagels, like in the morning, you know, just like, I mean, like, just like the class. next day. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, times have changed in that neighborhood. Oh, completely. They could have used the Sephora right across the street. <laughs> <laughs> they came a little late. Yeah. It's yeah. But yeah. So anyways, like, yeah, I went, went to check out Parsons. It was just too close to Tokyo. I remember like seeing like a purple haired girl, like look me up and down and I was like, nah, I don't need to do this. Um, and so I took a bus to, uh, Rhode Island, um, loved it there. It just felt like the sort of like the, the image of college life that I, I sort of imagined yeah. like my Western, like my vision of Western college. Yeah, um, that's not New York City at that point. Yeah, exactly. As wild as that may have been. Yeah. I'm sure RISD was a little more, yeah. you know, yeah. warm. Yeah, feeling. yeah, it was beautiful. And it had that, like, you know, like, you know, I did the tour of the school, walked over to Brown. And, you know, it was like Ivy League school. Yeah. You know, you get that sort of like East Coast, like beauty. And I was just hooked. And luckily, when I applied, I got in. So, um, so yeah, I guess like the, yeah, I mean. At RISD, I definitely, I, I, def, I, I love that like talking heads came out of RISD. Yeah. Um, and I definitely wanted to just be able to play, uh, make art as well as uh, play music. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there's got to be cool musicians. Well, there. you landed in the right town. Exactly. Well, I'm sure you had something to do with that with the bands that you were right. coming up with. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was just, I, I think we lucked out like all the, all the, all of us. I mean, I'm sure it's still super fun there but like I felt super lucky like when we were there like Providence was still pretty sketchy in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways so you could get away with things you know just like doing weird stuff and we just do we just have so much fun with like you know whether it was just like sneaking into abandoned buildings or or just like uh, just causing a ruckus in some way 
um, we just had a great time down there. Like I immediately like a, like I I was totally like a kid that wore like a every band T-shirt. Um, uh, I still have like a crazy like T-shirt collection because I've always like loved wearing like band T-shirts. So I remember like um, one of the first days there, like I was wearing a, a maybe I was wearing a boredom shirt or a butthole t- surfers T-shirt or something, <laughs> and um, like a, I think it was Matt Brinkman. Um, who is a part of like the the first sort of uh, incarnation of Force Field? Um, I guess he was always a part of Force Field, but um, but uh, he's also now he's a, a amazing um, comic book artist, um, and uh, but his art is still so so inspiring to me. But anyways, he found I think it was him or Brian Chippendale saw me with that. And they're like, oh, you like boredoms, and you'll like this. And they were doing this thing called marching band. Um, where they all just like wore uh, yellow and red or brown like costumes um, that they made and they just had this like public like it was just like a performance uh, art group you know very loosely sort of affiliated with art Um, um, but you know they were like they gave me a flyer and like come to brown like the brown green at midnight and mm-hmm. you know they were and I go and they're all these people like in in costumes with like these bulbous sort of like masks um where you can't see their faces like playing drums and i was like this is it this this is till i found my people yeah um so so yeah i like quickly got into you know like uh while doing all my like freshman stuff um got into playing music with people like uh, the older kids like saw you know like uh, saw that I was into stuff, and they're like, "Come, come, jam with us." And there's a there's there's a room that we would jam in, like right under the refectory or the uh, cafeteria, um, which is super fun because I knew that um, you could hear the music like almost crystal clear yeah. through the vents in the cafeteria. Um, so, but I remember just jamming with some some of my friends back then. This guy Christy Caracas, and um, who's like a, a fantastic animator now. Um, and has his own shows and whatnot. And then uh, uh, Brian Gibson, who plays bass in Lightning Bolt still, um, he's a great drummer too. So he was playing drums, and I don't remember who else, but but uh, that, that like playing with them, like I was doing a lot of like experimental vocal stuff with uh, guitar pedals, and uh, I was very much influenced by um, Japanese experimental music, like mm-hmm. Boredoms and like Ruins and different noise bands like Merce Bow and all this stuff so um like uh so th- it was like oh I was bringing the Japanese noise thing into the sort of like American version of you know they were talking about bands like Don Caballero and yeah. you know um it's kind of sort of like a uh, crossover experimental bands um and so like Christy was like telling Brian like you should get him to play in Lightning Bolt and so the <laughs> Lightning Bolt was already a duo um and they, but they hadn't done any shows yet, and so like I sort of tried out doing vocal stuff with them, and then joined that band. And I was only in the band for a year and a half, which is back then felt like forever. Right. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, I was only in the band for a year and a half. It was super fun because uh, I mean the band, I mean having like a tribal, like a heavy tribal band, like we were immediately popular. It was just <laughs> like. You know, I remember we started doing, all of us started doing these parties called Spring Bunny Love. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are, oh man, it was like such a good memory of doing these. Like, it would be usually like somebody's loft space, like a, 
like the older kids that moved into like a loft um and we just all the band all the sort of like college bands would play like um um i think the less of was already a band like when we first played this like uh the first spring bunny love show and it was there's a band called moment 2000 um and i can't remember who else but um but uh oh uh hellbender i think was a band but um but uh but yeah like just like having seeing like uh, like not just dudes dancing to your music like when when i was coming out of being like in bands where you know like like you know you wouldn't see that many girls just being excited about a band like i was just like i made it yeah. um yeah so that band was i mean you couldn't deny it it was just like a uh, it was just like a powerful band and that's why they still have like this crazy following because i mean those guys are such amazing musicians and yeah. the music is just so direct um and interesting i mean it, yeah you know, it's not your right your average yeah. rock band you know, yeah you're, totally you're, you're getting something yeah. you can't get anywhere else yeah totally so i feel like we all like sort of like uh we're all doing all these different things like i, I majored in photography at, at RISD, um but like uh i was really interested in the printmaking department because all the cool kids like brian chippendale and um just like i feel like every every cool musician who was an artist was in printmaking mm -hmm. back then so we like uh i'd take classes in that department i was really into video stuff so i was taking classes in film um and doing like early avid editing and that kind of thing um yeah so like uh i mean yeah there there are all these different bands that were starting and sort of uh dropping out and uh yeah it was just a super fun time i mean and i because i did photography i, I documented a lot of uh stuff what, like that was just happening so i have a lot of like pictures from like the the yeah early to mid 90s um at RISD um of bands and um and uh the fourth thunder scene which ended up being like a really influential sort of aesthetic that came out of that yeah. um that, that translated into you know the artwork of that time too. yeah totally so yeah like i like in school i feel like i wasn't really making like a visual art like i do now i mean it was mainly photography and video um but but i had it in me so like uh when when i eventually graduated RISD, it was a uh, you know, it was just still when there was no digital photography yet. So I couldn't pay for film processing and, you know, contact sheets and stuff like that. So I just like had to, had to slow that down. Um, I would shoot basically and just like leave it until I could afford to get it processed or like maybe I'd get some darkroom time or something like that. But, but I started making collages and, and drawings sort of after, um, after RISD. But um, backtracking a little bit, like in, I think it was my, my, at the end of junior year or senior year, like I started playing in Black Dice. Um, Black Dice was a, a band called Spit on Your Corpse before I joined the band. <laughs> and um, Brian, Brian Gibson from Lightning Bolt was the drummer. Um, and it was a, you know, hardcore punk kind of band. Um, and uh, like uh, Brian was just too busy with Lightning Bolt, so. Um, he left and then I joined and then they were like, let's change the band name and start new. Um, and so like, uh, I, I was talking to some friends about sort of like band name ideas and we were trying to think of some badass name. And, um, uh, my friend told me about a gang called black dice that used to exist in, in, in New York. So 
we're like that sounds that sounds badass yeah, yeah so we use that um and yeah like a that band like I, I was in that band for seven years um after college but yeah we moved to new york um sort of like a well um eric um who used to be the singer of the band now he's a uh, uh plays mainly electronics he does some vocal stuff too still but um but uh, Eric Copeland, um, he was just starting NYU because he was younger. He was Buren Copeland's uh, younger brother. Mm-hmm. Um, so we moved to New York mainly because of that. And Sebastian Blank, who used to play bass, um, he was from New York. And Buren and I, you know, had the, 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 you know, we wanted to keep the band together. Also, we wanted to, you know, try to sort of make something of being an artist in New York. So that's how that worked out. Moved to New York right after school. Um, we moved our stuff in, I remember, into like a, a garage that, I, that all these, uh, the, these guys that um, moved to New York the year before got that was like a converted garage, like wannabe loft sort of thing. Was that in Brooklyn? Or? <laughs> yeah, that was on Manhattan Avenue off of Meeker. Um, so it's crazy to have lived in New York so like in such pr- close proximity to where I first moved. Yeah. Um, but it's just like sort of how things worked out. What is that place today? Um, that's a good question. I feel like it's a just like a wood shop or something. Okay. Oh, I it's think still, I know that. Yeah. It's right by that Llama Inn place, right? Or it's, right uh, up from that? There's a, I can't remember. Like there's like some old apartment building. Um, if you're facing it to the left, that has a sign that says 1800 on the 1800, uh, like 1803 or something when the building was made. And then next to it is this garage. Um, this guy, John, that used to live there, I'm forgetting John's last name. Sorry, John. Um, uh, like, a, he painted this giant tiger on the wall mm-hmm. um, before I moved in. And so it was called, like, the Tiger Loft. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, like, I remember when I went one time the garage was open and I peeked in and it was still on the wall. So I was like, oh, oh really? It's still? Yeah. Still pretty there. awesome to see that it's still there. But, like, um, I think, like, the next, like, there is another sort of, like, side of the garage and that that side was nicer i remember going in there once and it was like way more nicely done than ours which was just like an art frat you know Mm -hmm. it was like five people officially living there but in new york like back then or even now i'm sure like you have so many guests like there are always like 10 people you (laughs) know they're like people sleeping yeah, yeah like sleeping on the futon in the corner while black dice practices in the living room and there's like people throwing stuff at the window from the apartment building next door and us being like tw- early 20s being like we don't care if you're complaining like yeah um just so rude um well when you're young yeah you know, you know you're not thinking about that stuff oh absolutely not yeah like no no idea um but it's funny to think back but that was those are super fun times um just like playing playing and playing in bands and touring and stuff and i was gonna say did you get to tour a lot because you were in school so would you tour in the summer or did you just well in school we just do shows around like around town and I, i'm trying to think of like we just did like shows like in rhode island i don't even remember doing did you used to play at the taz remember that place in new london the temporary so. autonomous zone no i don't think i i don't think i because it's not too far uh-huh. right? new london's pretty close yeah, to, yeah 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 we'd go to like seekonk and stuff to like play in like people's basements and yeah. stuff well, did you was it AS whatever three thousand? Oh, AS two twenty. Oh yeah, yeah. Was that AS two twenty was around and was yeah, around we definitely then, right? played. Yeah, we yeah. we were playing. I think we played there. Um, definitely went like after you know after school like played 
played at places like S220 or like um, I think we played at like Met Cafe and stuff oh no maybe it was like in Lightning Bolt I remember playing with Lightning Bolt and like uh, I think we opened for June of 44 or something like that like just like very nostalgic stuff yeah but um, but yeah like uh, yeah I remember one like uh, once Black Dice had uh, well I guess like we, we were we after school like right after school we moved our stuff into that garage and then went on a six week tour with just a seven inch out um, which is so classic back in the day and this <laughs> is like when you like um, when you didn't have like a there's no cell phones so you're like we'd get we got like a like a calling card um, number um, that had like no uh, uh, it was just like like we'd use that calling card it was still like a early band uh like a know-how like somebody gets like some kind of cracked like calling card thing where you could just call from pay phones like without paying um and we'd advance our shows that way just like call and say but it'd be just like advancing a show back then would just be like calling some kid you know right and being like we're, we're gonna going to, we're <laughs> gonna we're gonna be at the the civic that or like the town like uh you know cultural center wherever the yeah, show yeah. is gonna be um so those are like good memories um it must be so different now. Oh man, it's completely so different. much easier to do everything. Because oh, remember, crazy. we'd go on tour and there was no GPS. Yeah, it would be. Maps. You'd have to find it, like yeah. in the middle, in some of the venue. You know, you're not playing. Well, we weren't playing big venues. Yeah, yeah. So you'd have to go out to this house, someone's house, right? Try to find it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Now it must be so much easier. But then there's so much going on, and everyone has all that access to yeah, information yeah, yeah. that no one goes out to see anything anymore. Right, right, right. And it's like right. Ah, another show. Who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas back in the day, it's like you saw the flyer for it, and you're right. like, I'm gonna go see that. Yeah, yeah. And that was up on your wall, and you waited for it. Completely. You know? So it's kind of like, yeah, you know, a plus and minus situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. I yeah. remember like early, like. Like after that, then it was printing out MapQuest. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> booking booking agents actually had a job back then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they had to work. Yeah, yeah. To set true. that stuff up. That's so Nowadays, true. it must be so much easier. Oh man, yeah. I, I can't. I like. I think also kids are probably have smartened up a little bit, and maybe they don't. They know not to try to tour like places that don't that that take you twelve hours to drive to, right. and you'll spend probably more than what you get paid at that show to drive to the next show yeah. which is what we would do oh, you know? we were just loving driving around the country yeah you know? yeah because we would go you know you it was not productive right. you know what I mean like yeah yeah it was just an excuse to go play music around yeah, the country yeah. we weren't yeah. making any money really yeah yeah but yeah. uh yeah it's nowadays it's probably a little more effective oh man yeah totally although the wonder yeah, if we can be old people for a second, you know, like right. you lose some of the wonder and yeah, and kind of uh, the the mystique of it all. Yeah, you know, because we'd show up in a town, you don't know what the hell's going on. You're like, oh, let's go down to the record store. You don't yeah. know what the record right. store is. You weren't surfing the internet to find out. And right. You go down there and they've got all this vinyl and yeah, you know, yeah. it's kind of a nice experience. Yeah, you know? oh totally. And then someone after the shows like, hey, you could crash at our place. And yeah, then you go exactly. That was like your plans. Totally, know? that's exactly it what fun. it was. Yeah, it was but you fun. can only do that when you're. A certain age. Yeah, yeah. You get to a yeah. point to where you're like, all right, no more of that. Yeah. I'm not sleeping on any couches. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, we, like, uh, so with my new band, Kill Alters, we'll st- we, we just started sort of playing shows out of town. Like, we just did some shows with uh, Deerhoof. Um, and uh, it was super fun, but it was amazing to get to travel with uh, 
uh, my friends or new and new bandmates who who had never toured before because they're seeing it with the new eyes. Um, but it was fun to sort of be able to explain like the systems. It's like okay, I'll advance the show. That means like I'll call and like let them know mm-hmm. for sure that we're coming and also like what equipment that we're going to need from the club and what our basic sort of sound needs are and layout of like footprint. Um, and, uh, you know, okay, like you park the car, I'll set up the merch, like, you, mm-hmm. like we'll do sound check, then we'll trade off at the merch table. You know, just like fu- those things like became fun again. Yeah. I mean, also I hadn't been, I'm toured and so, so long that, uh, like I've been sort of spoiled since I've been playing with boredoms for the last like, eight years like that to just like, uh, you know, show up and do my thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just getting back to dealing with those sort of like nuts and bolts of, of, uh, of touring were pretty fun to see it through new eyes, like, uh, um, and, and have, a, ha, be around people who are excited to go to another city that they yeah. haven't been to. Right. Um, because I, I like all the people I pl- I played music with growing up. At this point, have been in bands forever, and they're like, you know, same old thing. Yeah, yeah, they're like in the they'll be they'll be back backstage reading a book or something instead of walking around. So it's like nice to nice to have some excitement in that yeah. way. But yeah, like touring has like completely changed for sure. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think it's still it's still fun to like go go to towns and you know if you're open opening for a band that has a has a following and they they get into you like like because they saw your live show there's like nothing that beats that you know they could like people could then sort of search you out on the internet which is just the part that makes it much easier for bands to sort of get the word out there because you don't have like we don't even have a record like that we worked on together yet like we're finishing it now so it's like um we didn't even have any records, so they had to search online to find something. So yeah, like yeah, I guess like creative process just like changes with time, as does everything. The yeah. process of anything. Well, how about your your artwork and how you well you do so many different projects. I yeah. mean, you you don't limit yourself to just you know one way of working and getting your work out in one avenue. Like you've you've done a lot of different collaborations, a lot of different media. Yeah. You know, I would imagine that you feed off of that kind of, you know, different people experiencing your work in mm-hmm. many different avenues. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely like I, I feel like I, at an early age in terms of making stuff, I wanted to be able to communicate it to as many people as possible by making things. And because I really genuinely love interacting with people, whether it's, you know, just through the Internet or at this point or or you like when you meet when you meet people in some country and they know what you do it's just amazing i'm 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 always grateful i'm never yeah. take it for granted and um and i guess like i mean it was partially of like the reason why i was always into doing all these different mediums was like uh i mean it was just necessity like i started like at school with photography because i was like i oh i probably i should think about something that i could use as a technical tool um, to be able to make a living, so that's like why why I got in why I started that because I mean I was I was I was definitely interested in photography, but but uh, also I knew that in in the that major I didn't have to do that many photo classes, so I knew that I could take whatever other sort of departmental classes that uh, I I can, which was the point of why I moved to America. I wanted to be able to try different mediums out and figure out what I wanted to make and like what I could make a living from that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, like making collage stuff and, 
and mural sort of like painting stuff like that that started because I couldn't afford to do the photography stuff so it was like pretty organic and then um, once I started that stuff um, like I didn't really think about it then but you know like uh, I mean at first I was starting I was still able to do some photography work and make a living Mm -hmm. Um, I had some like old family friends that would hire me in Japan to do like advertising photography for like you know surf clothing in japan that nobody else would ever see you know it was just like it was just like a a, a, like a fun job for me to do um and i definitely had different jobs like working at design studios i worked for todd oldham um for a long time for like five years uh, which was a long time back then to stay out of one job and uh and uh i guess just different things i worked for like a like a electro harmonics for a minute um i just did odd jobs you know um yeah. i remember like posing for like a like a a, a new drawing class when i was really broke because mm-hmm. i just like was like i need the 50 bucks to be able to like make feed myself yeah yeah so like um i'd done all kinds of stuff but like um but uh but yeah like then i started then like when the photography stuff really died out which is 2008 for me like i, I like at that point i was doing a decent amount of sort of like advertising that nobody would see except for in japan um and uh that stuff all stopped like literally stopped like in in one season after the economic crash and then uh i started to just get jobs for like using my artwork for commercial means Mm -hmm. so it's like commission pieces for you know advertisements or editorial like started doing like illustration sort of stuff for using my collage style and that sort of picked up and that's still like what makes the most um, I make most of my living from that kind of like commissioned work mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah so like a, and then I guess I started doing large-scale music performance stuff because um, like I, because I was such a fan of boredoms when I was younger um, I uh, do sort of I guess I, I, I first started sort of connecting with them because I when I worked at electro harmonics I was trying to get them a sponsorship and that was just like my excuse to talk to them. Mm-hmm. I quit that job before I could get them the sponsorship, but then um, we kept in touch and I started doing improv shows with, uh, I guess my first show, well, maybe my first show like was opening, like I had a band called Pixel Tan back in the day um, um, alongside when I was doing Black Dice and uh, we, uh, Yoshimi wanted um, us to open for uh, her other band, OOIOO, so I set up a show at this club brownies that used to exist that you yeah. probably remember avenue a yeah avenue yeah. a um and uh and yeah it was like pixel tan and uh av terror and panda bear open so that was before animal collective was yeah. animal collective um so we both opened for that show and that was sort of like the beginning and then i got asked to uh do a improv set with yoshimi um in the netherlands for this uh this uh, art collective slash sort of fashion line called Cosmic Wonder. Mm-hmm. They had an exhibition at this uh, architectural um, gallery in uh, Eindhoven. Um, and I did that, and that sort of like deepened my connection with them. And then I did a, another uh, improv set with I from Boredom's um, when he had an art show in Tokyo. So that, so basically all those things like made them, they realized like that they could sort of trust me as well as me having like a, a similar aesthetic um and that led 
us to try to do the 77 boa drum event mm -hmm. that was done in 2007 july 7th 77 kit drummers um trap kit drummers playing with uh the band and that that experience was just so that was still that's still one of my favorite uh yeah. musical experiences ever. Amazing. yeah yeah um i mean organizing it was crazy but it was you know i had i had the time because i want i mean i, I cared about it um yeah. and uh but it was, uh, but yeah, like back then, like I, I guess I would, I just got really focused on making that, that, that happen and I had a heavy hand in, in, in it actually happening. So it was, it was really gratifying. Like, mm -hmm. a, you know, um, over 10,000 people showed up to that event, um, thanks to Vice and back then Jelly NYC. Um, uh, and I still work with Molly Small, who used to be at Jelly NYC a lot on, sort of large scale performances, uh, performances and projects. But, um, but, um, yeah, that, that, that just seeing that many people wanting to see something that was super dear to me and definitely not normal in terms of, you know, performances, it was <laughs> just say, yeah. pretty strange. Yeah. Um, and people really, you know, I remember like afterward, you know, I, I definitely had moments of just pure joy while I, you know, cause I performed in it as well. Um, feeling that joy as well as you know every drummer saying like I cried at this point in yeah. the set because it was just so beautiful and then having you know in the streets like I guess people just knew me from I think we did like New York Times like uh, there's a New York Times article there was you know radio interviews and stuff mm -hmm. that I was a, a part of too so I would get people strangers would just thank me on the street and that was just an incredible feeling yeah. to be able to give back to the city right yeah. like um yeah, just to just to be a part of like the the like the dialogue in New York. So that sort of led me to. I mean, we did a Boredom's did '88 bow drum after that. 2008 '88 drummers playing in. We did that with two in two cities. So meaning uh, in LA, um, we did the Boredom's performance with '88 drummers, and then um, we were trying to figure out like a another band that could lead a similar performance in New York at the same time and I thought Gang Gang Dance would, would be a good band so yeah. I recommended that to the other guys in Boredom so they're like yeah that sounds good so and so that's how they got chosen and that was a good experience for them and all the musicians that played with them for that that's, it's just like a bonding a really deep bonding that happens like between musicians when you get to do that kind of special thing and then I think every audience member has the same where you're like you were at that too like right. uh, so that's really cool. So I'm trying to do more of my own large scale performances sort of based on just that kind of, you know, it's like pretty simple in the end, but trying to um, sort of get like a showcase some of, some of my own personal ideas about like what's going on in, in the world right now. Um, so hopefully like I can like a like there'll, there'll be some events that I'll, I'm trying to work on right now that aren't solidified. So I can't really talk about them but like hopefully there'll be some large-scale performances that i've i've curated as well as i'll be performing in um coming up pretty soon so that's sort of how i got into that basically i just like i really i i hate seeing borders between different types of creative people mm -hmm. um you know and it just like you know when, when people 
who are into you know music or like oh, fashions just all surface or right or like a, you know musicians are like I'm scared of the gallery world it's just like why why are you scared like let's just break those walls down and just like figure like everybody's influencing each other yeah um, I mean musicians I feel like get kind of taken advantage of like these days musicians make the least money oh yeah there's no there's yeah. no way to like, really unless yeah. you're you know Right. This very few yeah, group exactly. of artists who work with a huge label or whatever. Yeah, it's exactly. not really conducive to to making a living. Yeah, and supporting exactly. yourself as a musician. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. There's like yeah, that in between line is like it, 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 the the amount of money is just such a huge jump. Like so, hopefully, you know, just like being able to give back to the musicians that deserve um, credit and some like financial you know like the musicians need to get be able to make a living too and uh and yeah like in the visual like when you bring musicians into the visual art world i feel like it helps kind of like both sides sort of understand like the amount of work that goes into each other's practice and um you know music influences everybody even though some people could just like go and download stuff for free like at least, like, hopefully people think, like, let's support them by seeing a performance because right. they'll get paid then. Um, so I like trying to bring those worlds together, and I've definitely been a part of a lot of, you know, those kinds of performances. I've done a lot of stuff with Doug Aiken over the years, um, being in, in performances that he's organized, and I appreciate that, um, you know, sort of, like, being like being being able to break down those kind of yeah. barriers and... Uh, and, but I want to start doing it myself because I feel like I have like a, a understanding having sort of been a struggling musician and artist like a like w- how much work it, it it takes and how much it, it costs to live in New York or yeah. anywhere um, so I feel like I could I could do it as fair of a sort of like setup of a project as as I can I the like I just feel like I have like a, a better understanding maybe because I had to start from the ground up right um, so just trying to show appreciation for every every different medium and that was always sort of like a thing that was a part of like a why I can't, why I love New York so much because you can interact with people at those places you know yeah. if you're not shy you could just like go up and just like talk to people and that's how I feel like I've made a million friends in New York and and I feel like uh, everybody knows that I appreciate all these different things and I you know it it, it helps me in my work um, you know like a, like a, I, I just like a, it's like a I'll scratch your back you scratch mine sort of yeah. situation um, I try to tell students all the time just go talk to people yeah. you know I know it can seem intimidating, but it's not, you know, out there right. are all creative people who want to support each other. Yeah. And I've noticed, especially when times get tough, like when the economy drops or things like that happen, you know, it's even more important. And artists really, and musicians, like, have each other's back, want yeah. to work together. You have to use the support of your community to kind yeah. of, like, keep yourself afloat because, you know, God knows that, like, this country doesn't want to, or not just this country, but, you know, there's not that much put into it the artic- artistic you know kind of like machine as far as like funding money with grants and all that stuff mm-hmm. like music there's like almost you know everyone will download music for free now mm-hmm. and and people won't go to see live shows or, yeah. you know like people just aren't willing to spend any money on music right 
but they'll spend it on this, that, and the other. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's yeah. just not a lot of support for yeah. being a creative person in our yeah. society. Yeah. So we really have to like support each other. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, and kind of like have each other's backs. Yeah. And uh, that's, I think that's why so many musicians and artists work together yeah. on projects because yeah. it you kind of fueled each other's fire in a way. You know? Yeah. Like if someone asked me to do a music video for our for me, you know, I don't want any money. I just I like the fact of like you know associating with these people that I love what they do. Yeah. And then all my work is exposed to all these other people who might not walk into a gallery in Chelsea and see the stuff on the wall. Mm-hmm. And I love that idea of you know the work getting out there in so many different ways, you know, mm-hmm. people experience it in different ways. Yeah. You no, know, no, I think part of it, like I often say, like I'm from Pittsburgh and Warhol was always big when mm-hmm. I was growing up. Right. You know? And I think I've never had an aversion to, you know, artwork existing outside of the, you know, the white walls uh-huh. and, and trying to get the work out there in yeah. as many different ways as possible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think, I, I think some of that too, like I've noticed that in Japan there's, there's this relationship to utilitarian objects and uh-huh. it's kind of like there's a beauty in, in a real art in some things that are deemed would be deemed as like commercial goods or you right. know and there's not that kind of hierarchy it's mm-hmm. not as stark you know mm-hmm. and I think that's you know for me I really respond to that like mm-hmm. I want you know those images it's all just communicating mm-hmm. it's all just sharing your ideas and your your message and mm-hmm. what you find visually interesting or sonically interesting right. and you're trying to share that with as many people as possible yeah yeah you know? yeah. Uh, yeah i guess that must have been a big sort of influence without sort of even paying attention to it like growing up like in japan where the aesthetics of everything are thought about you know yeah. i remember like bringing one of my friends over to japan um, and he was just noticing how every th- single thing had a little character on it because mm-hmm. he was an animator, uh, my friend Devin Flynn. Um, and, uh, and yeah, like, a, yeah, it's just there's like little care. There's all this sort of details that, that they think about um, that can, that an aesthetic can be applied to, to just, and, and it's basically just to make people notice it more so yeah. it's like it is utilitarian but it can't that can be something that's beautiful it doesn't have to be the ugliest thing in the galaxy so right. that's uh, that that that's something that i grew up around um and so that was yeah a, a big influence for sure yeah things being considered yeah. across the board yeah exactly it's like even when something's wrapped yeah it's like so thoughtfully cared for and yeah, yeah. presented and yeah there's something really beautiful about that yeah know? totally which and then, you know, there's something after dealing as someone who grew up here mm-hmm. after, you know, if I go for a while and then I come back, there's something also nice about like the straightforwardness of right. things here. Yeah. yeah after yeah. a while, you kind of like people to just, yeah, yeah. you know, tell you what they think. Yeah. Japanese people do not do that. That's for no. sure. Um, I was telling, yeah, I was talking to one of my friends about um, like, a, yeah, just like doing business um, in Japan and like what when when you hear maybe it's probably maybe no yeah um but code word for yeah not really yeah exactly <laughs> yeah there's no, they'll never say no or yes um um so uh so it's a it's a funny sort of a yeah it's just like a, even when i when i started dating my wife like uh we had you know a lot of communication issues because it, it, like uh in japan you're you just you just don't talk about stuff that clearly yeah. um it's just uh we have this saying that's like read the air mm-hmm. i feel like i talk about it all the time um 
because that's just you, you're supposed to just like read people's gestures and how they're talking about it to know what's going on, you know. And that was just that's just the Japanese way. And um, but I definitely became much more. I'm much better at communicating. I mean, my wife is a, a psychiatric social worker, so she's also very good at sort of uh, extracting information <laughs> yeah. um, and sort of knowing what's going on and able to sort of. Uh, 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 communicate really well about those emotions and that kind of stuff so uh, I've, I've become a much better communicator um, since meeting her um, but yeah there, there's a there's there yeah the 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 vagueness of, of Japanese communication can be even frustrating for a Japanese person yeah just like but it is one translation of that vagueness you know right. when you come to New York that air that you're talking about uh, reading the air there's air from all over the world. Yeah, and just people true. are like, I don't have time to learn your right, cultural right. like affectations. Right. Just, yeah, screw off. Or like, yeah, go, yeah. the red light's green now. Right, you know, right, right, right. Or yeah, like right. Everyone just cuts to the chase because totally. there's so much air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so <laughs> you know, true. Which in a way, there's something endearing as yeah. brash and annoying as that can be sometimes. Yeah. There's something endearing about oh, that. Oh, totally. You know? yeah. But the diversity yeah. is really the beauty of it yeah. you know that you you are engaging with all these different people all these yeah. different cultures all yeah. these visually you're seeing all these different yeah. things that yeah. you know and yes it might you might feel like you're spinning sometimes but yeah. it's kind of exciting yeah. as opposed to just being you know out in the country where it's like that one thing right I think about it I mean you have a son so you probably know well uh, well this this feeling but I, I, I've heard through my friends who have kids um that you know your your kid ha- gets you know when you're a baby you're the cutest thing ever so of course every type of person wants to say hi to you like yeah. hold you um, give you some kind of form of love and um, and being able to interact with different types of people from different cultures make you makes has to make that child have less fear of different types of people yeah, you know they're definitely. they're much more accepting um, without even thinking about it obviously because you're you know you're like that people are just giving you that love so so i i think that 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 must be a really uh, great sort of a element to raising a kid here just to have them interact with yeah just all these different types of people it's beautiful you know yeah the school it's like not one kid is just one it's just the right. mix of all these yeah. people and you know, you fear what you don't know. Imagine right. growing up and in your room there was gray. Yeah. Everything was gray. Yeah. For years. And yeah. then someone flip comes in and flips on a light switch and everything turns into fluorescent colors. Uh-huh. Yeah. You freak out. Yeah, you know? totally. Just, you, there's nothing wrong with it, yeah. but you just be like, what the hell's going on, you know? And yeah, yeah. You, you just, the things that you're not aware of are the yeah. things that you fear are uncomfortable with. So. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I can't imagine growing up here. I, I look at him and think, you know, the things he's seen in nine years that took yeah. me, you know, 40 years to see or you know right. it's pretty yeah. amazing yeah totally but there's right. a certain amount of crazy that comes in oh yeah kids sure. who grew up in the city are yeah. a little off like yeah, they're, yeah they're all pretty or, I mean it's a generalization but uh, they tend to be really sharp but a yeah. little they march to the beat of their own drum yeah. <laughs> but imagine all that stimulus you know? yeah when totally. I was growing up I grew up in Pittsburgh and it's you know it's not a big city uh-huh. but nothing like the stimulus right. here, right? It's just crazy. Well, yeah. The, yeah. If you're, uh, yeah, any any sex that you are here, you're gonna have to protect yourself in some way, because of course kids are just mean. Yeah. Um, so you have to deal with that kind of sort of competition. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up in a monoculture in my like high school years, so you know, I was and and even though there was culture came to us, you know, people like bands and art shows and all that stuff would come because it was Tokyo. 
but uh but it was very safe like i could you know i was never worried about anything i'd just like stay up skateboarding all night and you know there's no fear of like anything happening to you but you know when i came to new york um after school i was definitely like oh i gotta watch my back yeah you know? i don't know any like a uh, guy that hasn't been like uh like mugged or jumped at, at least once like at least like when when i moved here yeah. um so so yeah like uh that kind of stuff. I also remember at, at RISD that the, the kids from New York had that, that toughness that I feel like will come with experiencing the city from growing up. You know, you're, you're kind of jaded because you do get to experience a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then you have to defend yourself so this toughness sort of comes up. Um, so, yeah, I, I could imagine that kids would have like a, a edge, an yeah. interesting edge. And kind of like not phased by much, too. Right. Know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. phased. I'm still phased all the time by yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Why are people acting like this? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So what do you have, um, what's what's coming up for you? Or you you said you're kind of in a in a mode of just working on your stuff and kind yeah. of like in your own, yeah. in your own head right now? Yeah. What you're working on? Yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of in my head right now working on working on stuff, but I'm also, yeah, I like have like uh, some proposals that I've written for large scale sort of performances that mm-hmm. I'm waiting to hear back about. Um, and yeah, just like figuring out how to utilize the studio better. Um, I have all my computer stuff, like uh, photography and computer stuff at home just because I want to keep it cleaner. And so it's like a a juggling act of like making sure I get out to the stu- the, the the messy studio and then working at, at home at the in front of the computer, um, really trying to push for a, a Kill Alters record to come out. Um, mm-hmm. We're almost done with the mixing of this uh, EP. Um, we have we're not sure if we're gonna self release it or do a li- try to figure out a label thing. So that's sort of in limbo as well. Um, like a, in terms of sort of commission stuff I recently did uh, like a homewares and like clothing thing for uh, this uh, company called fab fab.com mm-hmm. yeah. um, so that's sort of out there right now um, and uh, yeah just like just trying to figure out like the next steps like I really want to sort of maximize always maximize my output so um, but you, you always need that sort of like I'm trying to be okay with the in-between sort of like uncomfortableness of not knowing what that is, you know? Yeah. I'll, like, it's like, I'll make an experiment with something like in the studio and be like, oh, that's okay, but I know I could, it will lead to something else. So being okay with uh, not having, not having as many deadlines. I, like the first part of the year, I was really busy with commission stuff, which, which I was super uh, grateful for. Um, now it's slowed down, so I'm like, juggling the fear of wait or am i gonna get another job yeah, yeah um and being like okay i have time like i gotta do this stuff like buy shelves or like reorganize my hard drives or you know <laughs> just like the stuff that or like actually get a new website up that's like that's been a goal um so yeah just like just doing those things that and so like yeah it's it's funny to have like those moments where you're like i actually don't have any like thing really coming up yeah but hopefully something that's, will come up that's when ideas can grow in a different way you know which is yeah. exciting yeah totally yeah. it's just like that sometimes those in between times like uh even if it doesn't you you feel like because you're not having you don't have a finished product at mm-hmm. the end of like a week or a month or whatever it is like uh 
you could feel like if you're a proper creative person, you'll feel like oh, I'm not doing enough, you know. Yeah. But then once you get like say like an offer for a group show or a performance or a solo exhibition, then you'll realize that all those things when you get that little bit extra push that there the ideas are there. It's just that you needed that little push to sort of like push like force yourself to finish something. Um, so yeah, like uh, we'll see what happens next. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks. It's been great getting yeah. the backstory and like getting a little deeper into oh, like thanks. your upbringing. So thanks for having me. Dude. Thanks for taking all this time out. It was oh great yeah, to talk. It was super fun. Cool. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, man. Thank you.